Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning, an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. What's up, y'all? It's Zach with Living Corporate. And look, yo, I'm really excited about today's conversation I had with the head of DEI at Doximity. Doximity is a health tech organization. Learn about them by clicking the link in the show notes. And you know, I ain't even trying to like hold you. I'm not, I'm like, you hear my energy, you hear my voice. I'm genuinely thrilled about the fact that I was able to talk to Felix. Um, really great conversation. Just talking about the intersection of healthcare, tech, and justice really invigorating listening to somebody who's in frankly very oppressive historically racist spaces with so much hope and frankly like a bold vision on what diversity equity inclusion and organizational justice looks like in his field so i want you to know right <laughs> that you're appreciated you know like i'm coming to this just gratitude is like the mood gratitude is the movement Gratitude is just where I'm at. Um, shout out to Brittany Janae Harris, Liberated Love Notes. Great podcast yesterday. If you haven't checked it out, make sure you check it out. Give it five stars and up a pod. Shout out to The Break Room. Shout out to The Group Chat. Shout out to The Access Point. All of our incredible shows, our hosts. And just shout out to the Living Corporate Network. You know, like we're, we're continuing to, uh, to continue to grow, right? As a platform, as a media company. And I'm just excited about where we're at. Um, it's coming into the fall. We're coming into Thanksgiving. Make sure you prioritize yourself, prioritize your health, prioritize your well-being. You know, last week I came in here, we talked a lot about like honoring yourself by uh, being who God created you to be. Right. Taking care of yourself, doing right by yourself, even if you have to be by yourself. Make sure that you don't forget those words. It's genuinely important. And, you know, honor yourself also by learning, reading, listening, being curious. You can never go wrong by asking more questions and by seeking to understand. Like literally, you will never shortchange yourself by doing that. Now, again, I'm really excited about our conversation we had with Doximity. But before we get into that, we're going to tap in with Tristan. I'll see you in a minute. What's going on, Living Corporate? It's Tristan, and I want to thank you for tapping back in with me as I provide some tips and advice for professionals. On this episode, let's discuss a few reasons why you might want to rethink stopping your job search during the holidays. Now that Halloween is over, everyone is getting excited about the winter holidays. This is usually the time where everyone is winding down and taking a break from work. Many job seekers also begin to put their career goals on pause until the beginning of the year. Before you decide to hang it up, here are a few things you should consider. First, companies are still hiring. There are no shortages of job postings on sites like Indeed, LinkedIn, or ZipRecruiter. 
Many companies are even looking to fill positions and extend offers before the end of their fiscal year, so they move pretty quickly through the process. Second, since many people decide to put their job search on hold during this time, there tends to be less competition. This makes the holiday a perfect time to get noticed and land the job you want. Third, since most people take time off work, this is a great time to warm up old connections and meet new ones. The holidays provide an excellent opportunity for casual conversations and informational interviews that can lead to referrals and opportunities. Lastly, you can get a leg up over your competition. Come January, everyone else will be scrambling to land a new position, but you can start your year off with interviews or even a new job lined up. Now, if you've been running yourself ragged during your job search and need a break, then you should take the time you need. But if you have a bit more steam, pushing through during the holidays can put you one step ahead. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is, this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first-generation professionals. The other reality? Most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter the Access Point, a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point on livingcorporate.tv. Felix, man, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good, good. I'm I'm happy to be here. I'm excited. Man, let me tell you, like, it means a lot that, like, you know, I know we connected. <laughs> we connected at DNG. We're like, are you serious? Like, and I was like, <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I, I want to hear about, I want to learn about your current role and the work that you're doing now. But I think I want to just start with, like, your journey. Like, how did you get here? And when I say here, in DEI, um, at Doximity, like, what were the culmination um, of events that resulted in us having this conversation today? Yeah. So I think similar to a lot of other people of color, it was a very nonlinear journey, you know, mm. moving from like student leadership into medicine and now a formal DEI role in within health tech. Um, yeah, very nonlinear. So I'm Puerto Rican. I, w I was born and grew up in the mainland U.S., mostly in the South. And because of that, I was always in search of community and that sense of belonging. Um, for that reason, um, I was deeply involved in Latina student organizations in college and in medical school as well. It was in those spaces that I really learned about social justice, racial identity, health disparities, and intersectionality. And in those spaces as well, like I had the opportunity to really develop leadership and organizing skills um, through taking on leadership roles in those spaces as well. After becoming a medical doctor, I decided to take some time and do research in health disparities, thinking that I was going to still become that academic clinician researcher that um, medical schools always tell you that's the way to make an impact in healthcare. After a couple of years of doing that, um, I was super frustrated with the slow nature and the traditional culture of academic medicine. And that combined with my own experiences of being marginalized in those spaces. 
I decided that I wanted to try to make that impact in health tech. And that's what really brought me to Doximity. So I was at Doximity for about two years, maybe a little bit longer. The pandemic hit. I made my way into that space, like focusing on clinical content and the news part of the organization. Um, like I said, the pandemic hit and the murder of George Floyd was really a turning point for us, like a lot of other companies. Um, so a few of my colleagues and I really took it upon ourselves to organize and, and take action and create space, a space for marginalized folks within the company, culminated in the formalization of employee resource groups, all the way to hosting health equity focused leaders or speakers within the company as well. And I think we really started the ball rolling on creating meaningful um, change within the company. And as we were doing that, as things were kind of growing and we were growing that sort of impact, we were pleased with the immediate and the ongoing supportive leadership who also took the initiative to actually start creating that formal DEI structure within Doximity as well. That ultimately led to the creation of my current position. So when they created that position, they approached me and asked me if I wanted to take that on. I was a bit hesitant. I had not seen myself taking on a formal DEI role like as my career path. So I spoke with them, talked to them about what they envisioned for the role, what was the agency that was going to be given, and the growth for the role. Those were two things that were very important to me, thinking to myself that if I'm going to take this on, I really want to be effective. I felt good, and I took the leap. Here I am. I think it's always a leap of faith when pivoting career choices or taking on new roles, but I felt good about it, and, and I really know the people at Doximity are hoping that this can make a real meaningful change. And I'm, I'm hoping to do that. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's exciting. And I think about, you know, health tech. And I think about even the story that you just shared. But also, you know, we follow each other on social media. And I try to do a decent job of, like, seeing what my people are about before they come over to corporate. So I'm, I'm curious, like, you talk a lot about justice and equity in healthcare. I think justice is like this. It's where folks kind of kind of avoid right it's like either like you're, it's like it's it kind of it kind of like separates the wheat from the chaff a bit i'm curious like what do you what do you believe it means to have justice in healthcare? and then considering that doximity is a, as a health tech company what's the intersection of healthcare, justice and tech yeah no that's a great question and like i yeah completely agree with you so for me i see health equity as the goal here. And I see justice as the path to get to that goal. Right now, we know that inequities and health disparities exist. That's our current state. And health justice is being able to frame an approach to get closer to equity. I think it's important to have that sort of language because what it does is it frames our approach in creating solutions. Understanding that this work is about justice means that current systems are unjust. And then doing that helps us invest in solutions towards addressing disparities and understanding it in a way that we know that this is not charity work, this is justice work. And I think that sits a bit differently when you talk about it that way, that it sits differently when you're talking about resources, when you're talking about time, and even the mindset in which people approach the work or even start doing it or start thinking about it. You start understanding that this is not a one-time donation. This is not a pat yourself on the back event, but instead this is something that helps us stay true to the values that we say we have. Because I think a lot of companies, this country says we say like we have values in justice, right? 
Well, mm-hmm. it takes work to stick to that. It takes work to keep your values. And I think having that sort of justice approach helps us do that. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting, like to that, like to that point, that statement, it's I'm curious to get your perspective on like the the corporate landscape of DEI today. And like, you know, it's 2021. We're rapidly approaching 2022. Um, I'm curious as you look at this decade, like not only where you what do you surmise of the current landscape, but then like where do you see it going between now and 2030? Yeah. Don't make 2022 come too fast though. <laughs> um all right so i'm gonna warn you i i am a cautious optimist and i think it's this is this work is it's hard not to be optimistic um to, it's hard to do this work without being optimistic about change and so where i where i think and i and i'm hoping the field is is moving in a direction of is being growing and and having a better ability to have nuanced conversations around the topics that we care so deeply about. I think also growing towards the direction of um, functionally applying um, the topics that we we talk about and we know about, um, functionally applying historical and social context to systems, I think is like a really important um, thing for people in the DEI space to have an understanding of. I'm continuing to learn from folks in the space. Many of pe- many people through the interviews that you've conducted, especially Michelle Kim, you know, her book, Shout out Michelle Wake Kim. Up. Oh my, yeah. oh my God. Like, wow. That book I've, I'm about 80 pages in and I appreciate her ability to put words to navigate nuanced topics while also guiding us to functionally center equity in our work, in our actions mm-hmm. and decisions. I think that's so important. I think it's important for us to continue like, taking this conceptual learning of zero-sum thinking, racialized identities, white supremacy culture, and being able to take that, but also understanding that serving in corporate DEI roles, we have to step out of that conceptual and change policies, practices, and products. Mm. And I think ultimately our job is to change those policies, practices, and products, right? We're looking to impact marginalized folks in an equitable way. And To do that, we need to understand business goals, metrics, incentives, and build trust and relationships with leaders to communicate with them that centering equity is of personal, organizational, and societal interest. And what I think, I guess like what I'm most excited or where I'm hoping in the next 10 years that we're going to see things kind of evolve is that I think the people who are going to be the most effective in the DEI space are going to be those who are able to demonstrate all those things and also combine that with industry experience. I think taking industry experience and also taking that conceptual and being able to functionally apply it to systems is going to create the types of professionals who are going to be really effective in in demonstrating why equity helps a company better align with its own missions and values. And I think those people are going to be the most effective in the next 10 years. You know, it's interesting, like what you're also speaking to, like you said it off top, is just like, there's a certain level of just uh, critical and systems thinking that doesn't really exist like in mass period. And certainly um, in spaces related to the um, centering and amplifying of historically marginalized voices and experiences. Right. And so I I agree. I I think we need optimists. You know, I'll I'll tell you, I mean, you listen to Living Corporate, like I'm not an optimist. Right. I think I'm 
Am, That's uh, why I gave you that warning. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm more of like a cold realist as I look at just, I just look at history, right? I look at American history, I look at global history. I look at like current systems and the means of capital uh, development around the world today um, and the, the systems by which we generate capital and the people that we uh, exploit to, to generate that capital. Like it's tough, right? It's tough for me to look at that and, um, and be optimistic. But to your point, I also do see like people thinking and applying knowledge in new, in new ways and challenging systems and in ways that is uh, in these new like technical in these new technological contexts that are that is encouraging. Right. So I'm not going to sit back and be like, this is pointless. It's not. I just it's tough, Felix. You know, you look at just you just look around. You're just like, damn. All right. I mean, uh, I'm curious, though, like to that end. Right. As we talk about like the application of. Uh, of DEI thought leadership within like subject matter expertise, like within technical contexts, do you foresee organizations ever foregoing immediate strong profit in the name of longer term profit? That is kind of like the first part of my question. And, I, and the reason I even asked that is because I'm thinking about like, I'm thinking about Netflix, right? So, you know, the Dave Chappelle walkout or the related to the walkout because of the offensive content that he created, the transphobic material that he created, bunch of whining. And spoiler alert, y'all, I mean, as somebody who really historically is foundational funny, specials weren't very good, uh, which is another conversation we had in the day. But the point is, like, you know, I was talking to some colleagues about about Netflix and about, like, the challenge that they're in, right? And I was thinking, like, the truth of the matter is, is that these employees walked out because they were frustrated that Netflix would publish the content. But the truth of the matter is, like, if, if Netflix really cared about these populations more than they cared about making money, then there would have been stronger clauses in the contracts that they inked with Dave Chappelle and other similar content creators. So that in the instance where, hey, we find this content to be offensive and our employees, our, our people, the people who actually are the lifeblood of this company, our engineers, don't like this. And so here's what we're going to do. They would have, but they didn't. Right. And so like, I think my, what depresses me about that is I think about like, again, I'm using Netflix as an example, but like there was, there's an immediate value. There's immediate profit or more immediate profits to be made by signing someone like a Dave Chappelle, super mega comedian star. But the reality is the PR fallout and some of the like some of the like those there's costs with that, too. And Netflix doesn't actually need Dave Chappelle to survive, but they do need competent engineers. Right. But I'm saying because of these capitalistic contexts within which we exist, they're going to choose to pay Dave Chappelle because they know the money is going to generate for their platform. And so like all of this is to say, I think I get I get depressed because I'm like, dang, like I just don't know if I've ever seen a situation where a company's like, look, we can make this money right now or we can forego these dollars right now and make make money longer over time and not harm people. Right. That's where I get frustrated, because even when I think about like all the DEI stuff and the all the work that Netflix does, right? Like to like talk about how much they care about black and brown voices and then, or historically marginalized voices, but like it doesn't match when it comes to like how they actually do business. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I mean, I think we're seeing the growing pains like as a society of getting there, right? Mm. I think we're we're seeing change. We're seeing progress like as kind of like a across different industries and like in corporate America, of you know representation 
and seeing a bit more um, content change and like seeing ourselves like in these types of content spaces or like seeing ourselves like served through different products, is it fully there? No, like, I mean, we're seeing that kind of happen um, in different spaces. And I think those sorts of events where companies aren't quite meeting the mark are going to serve as case studies, right? We're, we're seeing that, we're learning from that. And those are warning shots for anyone else who is getting into wanting to recruit people from underrepresented backgrounds and historically marginalized communities and having to grapple with the fact of how do we truly see these people? How do we truly treat them in an equitable and inclusive way? What does that actually mean when it comes down to it? Well, it means, you know, our practices, policies and products have to be equitable, right? We have to center equity and like you said, like when you put pen to paper, when you decide what those policies are, what, what you decide, decide what those agreements are, that means representation has to be at every part of the company in order to be able to encompass that and, and do it in a way that is meaningful and captures different lived experiences and those different lenses. In health tech in particular, like I think that's super important because our products eventually impact patients, right? So we need the patients that we're going to eventually impact to be represented in the people who create those products. I think that's super important. And I don't think, I think previously in the DEI spaces, we've, I've heard you talk about it a lot on your podcast as well. In traditional DEI, people have had the superficial sort of like approach to diversity, just kind of the representational piece. I'm super excited for us to take that and move into the next level of like really applying it to systems. And I think we're moving there. We're not quite there. I'm hopeful that we may get there. And I'm not trying to down your parade, right? Like you need to, we need you. All right. So like, don't people like, you know, I, mm, 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 I like I, I recognize that I need, you know, there's other perspectives to be had and, and, and we need people who are hopeful. And I think, I think we're all dreamers. It's just like, what is, you know, we need various perspectives. So I hear you and I, and I, um, and I'm excited about, you know, really continue to talk a little bit more about like, about Doximity a bit, you know, DEI is a space with, with high burnout. And I'm curious, you know, how have you been able to navigate this as a leader in this space, especially, I guess we could talk a little bit about like why Doximity as well, but it's like, as I think about healthcare and health tech, there's a lot of, and, and from my perspective, it seems like there's a, a, a lot of opportunities to burn out. And so I'm curious to hear like how you've navigated that um, at Doximity, but then also just like in general, as you like, as you continue to get in this work. Yeah. So the first thing I think about like with like DEI work is I have to always remind myself that there's always work to be done. I think that's important to think about understanding that and also being married to a psychologist. Um, wellness is super important to me. So I've made it a priority to like, you know, regularly seek therapy. I try to get myself to take at least five to 10 minutes a day to meditate. That's a constant struggle. Try to. What that does for me, like as an individual and kind of like on my own, like personal like efforts is like helps me stay grounded and present, which I think is really important when leading DEI initiatives, because it regularly calls on you to be empathetic, to practice strategic thinking. And it also calls on you, it stretches your ability to context switch every single day. So for me to like show up fully to work every day, that means like prioritizing my wellness, my rest, my recovery. I think aside from the things I'm doing on a personal level and like on an individual level, 
being a person of color, community is super important for me. Culturally, that's that's how I approach this work. I approach it as like a collective effort. So that's a really big source of grounding for me. Both the onboard health and the filament have been amazing communities for me to be able to connect with people who are like-minded, people in the health tech space or within DEI corporate roles as well. And then honestly, Twitter, that's giving me an opportunity Word. to really connect with, yeah, connect with you, other like-minded professionals of color who are doing this work in different spaces and just like, you know, either send a GIF or, you know, just be able to just like connect about a, a topic or hear people's like perspective. I've never seen so many thoughtful Twitter threads as I have in the past, like three months. It's been great. You know, it's wild. Like people, it's just, it's inter like just when you think about, um, and I've talked about this several times, right? Like in terms of like just offline discussions about like the future of learning, right? Like, like as a learning modality, like microblogging is the future, man. Like people know how to time sitting around here clicking no 45 minute e-learning, clicking through some bland animations like no nah, give me the give me the content right give it to me in self-paced but it's only going to probably be about two minutes um it's going to have hyperlinks if i want to click and learn more i can but like that idea of like just micro-based learning right of like yes. grabbing information and i'm going like tiktok uh and shout out to vine which is the original tiktok these youngins don't know that though felix but no <laughs> but vine was that was tiktok before tiktok but like this idea of like you know seven 25 30 second video right and like and i think it's it's hard to really appreciate how much content and learning can be compressed in those formats but they can be so yeah it's just it's funny like more and people used to really roll their eyes at like oh i really learned from twitter it's like no you do there's a lot of experts like everybody ton of experts on twitter uh, you think about like dr tima okun and like that black stocks and like Minda Hart, you said Michelle Kent, like there's tons of people just dropping knowledge. Dr. Aaron Thomas, like there's tons of people on there just dropping fire for free. And it's like, you can pick it up and, and put it right back down. So it's, I, I'm right there with you. And then also yeah. shout out to shout out to therapy too. Cause that's, I really believe, first of all, I think everyone should be going to therapy in some, some form of therapy, right? And the therapy can take a lot of different forms, but we should all be seeking some form of therapy. And then, and then certainly for uh, DEI professionals, like we need that, right? Like if we're really doing the work, I feel like if you're doing, if you're an, if you're a DEI professional, you don't feel like you need some therapy. I don't know if you're really doing the work. You know what I mean? <laughs> I I completely agree. That is so true. You know, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, we talk about DEI, you know, and as we talk about DEI and healthcare, it just feels like a lot to wrap your arms around. Like, of course, there's a matter of internal DEI for employees, making sure folks feel belong. There's a level of belonging that your talent acquisition strategies are effective, that there's effective uh, opportunities to develop and grow and, and progress within the company that you're being recognized equitably and all of that. Uh, but but equitable care has also been a major gap from inception when you think about just like the history of healthcare in this country particularly around how just the exploitation of black uh, black and indigenous women to even learn about like the human body from black uh, black and brown men to learn about the human body. I'm, I'm curious, considering that, like how do you tackle like those complexities within your industry? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I, I appreciate you kind of pointing at the, the framing of like DEI that's employee facing and then also thinking about like 
within a healthcare space, like what's the point of healthcare, right? It's supposed to be impacting patients and, and seeing and serving patients. So what is the function of DEI in that space? And like, how, what does that mean um, for what healthcare is supposed to be doing? The way I start this and the way I approach any like complex problem is I, I try to think about it in a structured way and try to approach it in a structured way. Um, so the first question I ask myself is, you know, where's my sphere of influence and how can I impact change? So within health tech, that means we have the ability to create technology solutions. For Doximity in particular, we have the ability to potentially impact over 1 million of our members. We have a telehealth tool that's been used for over 1 million patient visits. And so for those reasons, we our approach is to not only become a more equitable and inclusive company for our employees, but for our members and community as well. Being a professional medical network, that means amplifying and ensuring underrepresented physician voices are heard as we build products that support all of medicine. But that also means creating opportunities for folks in medicine and technology um, to make sure that those underrepresented folks there's additional opportunities that we work towards within those spaces because those are spaces in which we sit at, right? And then aside from that, thinking about our, our employees, our community, and our members, I think it's important to note that as we build products, our products also impact our clinicians and impact patients as well. I think a lot of folks think that technology solutions are, are unbiased and objective, but, uh, but recent clinical studies have shown that they only amplify the biases of their creators or the conditions in which they're created in. So what that means is that they end up further exacerbating existing health inequities. So for me, knowing those things, what I think is super important is for us to take DEI principles and use that to advance digital health equity within health tech companies. What I mean by that is really building diverse teams, fostering an inclusive culture, and implementing equitable product design frameworks to be able to develop solutions that positively impact communities. I think by intentionally creating those inclusive cultures, what we're able to really do is take the lived experiences of marginalized folks within the company, within those diverse teams, and show that we, we truly value those lived experiences to the point where they influence the direction of products, they influence decision-making, and then ultimately they impact the, the communities that they come from themselves. And what that's doing is that's really co-designing products and then helping us iterate to improve accessibility. And I think that's what's gonna make us, help us be part of the solution within digital health to make it more equitable and inclusive. First of all, that's beautiful and it's inspiring and, and validating uh, for, for reasons we can talk about offline. But I think, you know, there's something something there. There's a premise, though, like in what the framework that you just outlined, the premise is that you find black and brown historically marginalized voices valuable. Right. Like there's something to be said. And I, I just I don't know. It feels like this high level of um, paternalism within like just in how white and majority spaces treat black and brown historically marginalized voices almost like um so i have a daughter she's 18 months old 19 months old went to daycare and she uh came back from her day at daycare with like an arts and crafts thing and it was like this construction paper and on the construction paper it had three circles and then on each of them circles had little colors like she took out it was like ripped up a little tissue paper and then she 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 organized each of the colors in the circles and then the daycare they laminated it and i'm like oh this is cute 
right? Take it. We'll put it on the refrigerator. It's great. All right. Now, look, Emery's a baby. All right. I'm not about to go sell that at the Louvre or whatever that place is called. <laughs> it's just a cute thing that my daughter did. And it shows development and growth. And hopefully, as she continues forward, she continues as her developmental milestones, she'll create better crafts. And that, what I just described, is how white folks kind of treat black and brown perspectives at work, right? It's like, oh, it's mm. some cute little kitty stuff. All right. And you pat them on the head, and it keeps them busy and distracted enough for them to do what you actually want them to do, which is whatever it is you hired them for, right? And so I think like what you're describing is a certain level of respect and true presumption of peership as it pertains to like thought leadership and competence. And I don't know if like that attitude is one that is wide, widely adopted. And so salute to you. That's dope. I just want to call out like for the, for our audience listening and for aspirational allies and there's executive leaders that listen to living corporate blah 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 like note that right is that there's a certain level of trust and respect and value that you have to place on these voices to even have them a part of like actual product development and go to market strategy and life cycle like that's that is incredible like what you're describing is very inspiring it's very encouraging um, and I just want to make sure that, like, we note that, like, that doesn't come without a certain adoption of mindset. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. Like, I think that goes back to what we talked about before around what justice looks like in healthcare or like justice just in general. Right. I think understanding and approaching this work from a justice lens helps us understand it's not charity work. I think mm -hmm. that's where a lot of this comes from, where it's like, you know, we're recruiting people from underrepresented backgrounds because we're good people for doing that. No, that's that's not the approach. That's not why we're doing that. By understanding that the current system is unjust and treating these communities in an unjust way, historically and currently, we are living more true to our own values that we state that we have by undoing that and be creating systems and processes that undo that. I think some of what you touched on were you know, a lot of folks aren't quite there mindset wise, 100%. Like it's hard to get, you know, the majority of folks to be there and really understand what that means. I think in a DEI role, traditionally, we've thought about DEI as kind of like changing hearts and minds. I don't know how effective that is. I think mm -hmm. there's a role to be played in that and providing the opportunities for people who do want to do the work in a thoughtful and authentic way to change their hearts and minds. But that is on the individual and it's got to be on them to get there. I'm here to change systems and processes. Like mm -hmm. that's what I really want to focus on and change the environment and the ways those systems and processes impact marginalized folks and the way those systems and processes ultimately create products that impact our communities like on the outside as well. You know, that leads me really like really into my next question, right, which is you know, what are you excited about? Or, you know, you look, let's look at Doximity of the next 18 months. Like, you know, what gets you going? What gets your blood moving? Yeah. So as I mentioned, like my, my role is new. Um, so that means building out the DEI structure, what DEI is at Doximity. So I'm super excited about that. It also means that I have a lot of things on my mind that I'm excited about doing. But over the next 18 months, I think some of the things that I'm most excited about is investing more in people data. I think it's important 
to, to have data to this work in a thoughtful way. What that means is really being able to measure employee engagement and sentiment in the ways that, you know, a lot of health tech or a lot of tech companies do already, but doing it in a way that captures marginalized identities. Because if we are not able to do that, we're not able to tell authentic stories of how those folks are being impacted within the company, and then really be able to center equity in our decision-making and the policies we create that ultimately are employee-facing and, and, and ultimately want to serve them in an equitable way. I'm excited about doing that both on the pre-hire and the post-hire side, so we can have an understanding to improve our processes with recruitment and hiring, and then also improve our processes around retention and, and make sure that we're keeping folks and, and developing them and, and promoting them in an equitable way as well. Aside from that, I'm super excited to lift up more BIPOC leaders within Doximity. We have some great leaders in Doximity that I feel like need to be lifted up, need to be seen and heard more. I'm excited to work towards that and make sure that's done. I'm excited also to continue collaborating with product managers on developing that sort of equitable product design framework and, and really lift up equity-centered features that we create. I think that's the part where I'm most excited about to be able to impact health equity through the products that we create and, and working with people who are experts in, in what they do. I love it, man. Look, you know, we could talk forever, Felix. I, I appreciate our discussion here and I'm looking forward to um, you coming back. Before I let you go, any parting words or shout outs? Yeah, no, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Um, so shout out first to my wife for always supporting me in everything. Shout out to my colleagues at Doximity doing the work, especially the ERG leaders at BIPOC at Docs, Women at Docs, LGBTQ plus at Docs. Shout out to Angelica and Alexandra for always being change agents, Sherry Buck and Daisy Chu for supporting me and always giving me guidance. And lastly, Andre Blackman at Onboard Health for creating that community. Shout out Andre. Yes. So for yes. creating that community and honestly, like always gassing me up on Twitter or any other space, I, I really appreciate him doing that. And yeah. I love it, man. Look, Felix, it's been a pleasure. We continue a friend of the show. I want you to come back. Like Doc Simony is doing this thing. Y'all got new products. Y'all have things going on that you think are relevant and pertinent uh, for black and brown folks. You know, just says y'all got things going on, man. Like, keep us in mind. Like, you know what I'm saying? I would love to have you back. And um, and let's make sure that we just, uh, we keep on, uh, we keep the DMs warm as well. Yeah, 100%. And I appreciate you having me on the show. And, you know, I'll be listening. We'll definitely keep you posted as, you know, we get more things coming and going. That sounds good, man. We'll talk soon. Peace. And we're back. Yo, thank you, Felix. Thank you, Doximity. Thank you to all our listeners. Thank you to folks first and last time listeners. Thank you to the Gen X, the Gen Y, the Gen Z, the baby boomers. Thank you to uh, all of our supporters. Thank you to the people who get in the merch. Thank you to the folks who are checking out uh, LinkedIn Learning, our content on our platform. And um, I really appreciate everyone who just takes the time to give Living Corporate five stars to uh, give us a review and just to tell somebody about about living corporate right like literally especially this holiday season so many conversations are being had left and right about diversity equity inclusion employees experiences and their expectations in this really unique season 
that's really like just, you know, a lot of different things coming on top of each other. A very unique confluence of events and pressures and temperatures. And I just want you to know that uh, you're appreciated. Take your time. Take a breath. Slow down. Take this season to really reflect on what you want your 2022 to look like. All right. This has been Zach. Till next time, you've been listening to Living Corporate. Talk to you soon. Peace. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.